Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy are making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to instill a love of books in even the most reluctant reader. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is middle school teacher Carrie Pitstick of Illinois. I identify strongly as a reader. I'm not sure if it was being an only child with time to fill, having parents that modeled reading, or an innate love of stories, but I've never been reluctant to read. However, I have been reluctant to do a lot of other things that adults decided were good for me, so I can empathize with students who dislike reading. Nevertheless, just like I eventually learned to love running, Carrie Pitstick is dedicated to giving her students the opportunity to love reading. This is important because, according to the Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, a student's level of reading engagement was more highly correlated with their reading achievement than their gender, family structure, time spent on homework, or even their socioeconomic status. More than that, of course, is that reading, to paraphrase Oprah, allows students to expand their minds, open their eyes, and fill up their hearts. Good luck on your newest not-so-impossible lesson with Special Agent Carrie Pitstick, which will begin after this quick ad break for Edupodlooza, an event I'm really proud and excited to be a part of. Sunday, 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 June 27th, join us for Edupodlooza. There will be over a dozen Edupodcasters. Listen for some rhythm and rhyme. That's a poetry slam, boys and girls. Roundtable discussion. Just some teachers talking about teaching and laughing and having a good time. Role-playing games. Oh, yeah, for you nerds out there, you know you're going to like that stuff. Radio drama. Dum-dum-dum-dum. And really funny people. At least really funny looking, if nothing else. 1 to 9 on June 27th, Eastern Standard Time. We'll be live streaming. There'll be links. We'll put it on the Twitter. We'll make sure that you know where it is. Follow us at Unprocast if you're not already, because that's probably going to be the easiest way to know when it's going live. June 27th. Free up your calendar now. Thank you. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me and the listeners on the podcast. It's so great to be here. I cannot wait to talk about all things education. Before we begin, maybe you can give our listeners a clue as to who you are and what you do in education. Of course. So um, I am a seventh grade English language arts teacher in Illinois. Um, I've actually been, this is my sixth year teaching, and I have known that I wanted to be a teacher my whole life. So I am right where I want to be at. And I am also currently working for the Teach Better team, and I am the digital content coordinator, so I run the blog for them. One of the reasons I reached out to you is because you're doing really cool things around promoting reading. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I, one of the things that I love to do the most with students is help them find their love of reading. And a lot of students that come into seventh grade, many of them don't love reading. And it can be a challenge to help them 
find that because a lot of them are just so adamant that they are not readers and they don't like doing it. They don't want to do it. So I, over the years, have brainstormed a lot of different ways to get them excited about books. So the fir- like first and foremost, one of the things that I do is have daily independent reading time. And I know that seems like something so minor, but that was not something that I've always done. And that's not something a lot of teachers think to do. And just giving them that time in class to read. Because when they're at home, as much as we would love for them to be reading, we can't control their you know, environment at home and if they are able to concentrate. So giving them time, first and foremost, is super important. Um, I've also been big on book talks. And so as I'm reading young adult books, I will then book talk them to my students or I will do a first chapter Tuesday. Um, and those are just some times for me to get them exposed to some different books that maybe they wouldn't have picked up on their own. And with that, I also take a lot of recommendations from students for books that they want me to book talk or for me to read the first chapter of. I also am getting students involved in that process, which is a huge um, thing too, to use them, like use the students who are reading to get them to recommend books to their peers. Our school uses the LMS Canvas and I have a discussion board set up for students to recommend books to one another on there and like to talk about their books. I also have a Flipgrid set up and our whole team in seventh grade uses the Flipgrid to share books with one another. And so just little things like that, just thinking outside the box of like, how can you get students a chance to talk about their book and them even getting recommendations from each other and not from you is a very valuable thing. And so using the tools and platforms that you have available to getting them to talk about books and just do more than just like sit and read and then move on. And the more that you can allow them to like take five minutes and talk about your book before you move on or giving them a chance to do something with the book where it's not required like a project, but having the like options for them to share that kind of thing is a great way to show the importance of it without putting that like academic tie into it. And longtime listeners know how much I love improv in the classroom. One fun thing you can do with books and improv is students just find a a really cool sentence in their book and write it down and everyone throws it into a hat. And that can be your improv prompt for the week. Oh, that's awesome. I love that idea. Yeah, just a way to like bring in the books. And then two, sometimes kids will hear a sentence and they might be able to like guess what book it came from or if they like the sentence they can be like hey what book is that from and that's just like a way to get recommendations and I guess you could even do one sentence recommendations I haven't done that but as I'm talking aloud I'm like oh that might be kind of fun is just like look at sentences and see which ones you like yeah I do love that I actually did an activity with my students a couple years ago where they each like found a quote from a book from their current book that they liked. And then we put them like on a little talking bubble and I put them around my bookshelf. So yeah, little things like that, but that's a really good idea. I'm going to have to steal that. (laughs) Please. (laughs) That's awesome. So you talk about by the time students hit the seventh grade that they've lost a love of reading because I, I have a feeling, I mean, I, I haven't taught primary, but I did some substitute teaching and I've been with small kids and most of them really do love reading. So what's happening in the meantime? Like what are we as adults doing? Because it can't just be normal developmental. You love something and then you hate it. Like what are we doing to students to make them hate it? 
Right. And that's something that I've done a lot of reflecting on too, is like, what is happening? And I don't blame them. I was the same way. Like I loved reading as a child and somewhere along the way, when I got to middle school, I hated reading and I didn't feel very confident with it. And I, you know, when we were assigned reading, I just like neglected it. And it really took until I was in eighth grade and had a teacher that helped me find books that I liked. And um, long story short, I went from someone who was like a fake reader and just didn't read at all to eighth grade. I read 50 books that school year because of a teacher that helped me find books that I love. So I'm very open with students and I'm like, it doesn't seem like it because I'm your English teacher, but I actually hated reading as a middle school student. And that kind of gets a lot of their attention. And I'm just very open with them that I didn't like reading for a time either. And so I've done a lot of reflecting as to why that is. And I think part of the reason is that students are always told like what to read and what to write. Like all throughout school, it's like, here, read this, read this, now write this, and now read that. And what I found is that just giving them time with choice in reading and choice in writing is helping motivate them because when they're reading a book that they've chosen and that they like, that definitely makes them a little bit more engaged. And especially some of the more hesitant readers, graphic novels are huge right now. There's so many amazing ones out there. And sometimes students are a little shocked when I say that they can read graphic novels for their independent book. And I'm like, honestly, you can read whatever you want for your independent book. I just want you to be reading. And so just giving them that choice is a huge factor in getting that motivation and getting them to get that love of reading back. Because I, yeah, I think so many of them lose that by the time that they get to middle school. And I think it's just because they, for so long, they're just being told what to read. And just having that time to have that choice is a big um, factor. Yeah. And knowing that once you read, you can't just enjoy the reading, that it's going to be followed up with an assignment that may or may not be of interest to you. Like that's something, yeah, that's something that I worked a lot in my French classroom was to just not have any assignments. Like maybe there was a turn and talk after the reading, or maybe you put like on a sticky note, one sentence of what you liked in what you read, but there was nothing more than that. Like we weren't turning something joyful into something onerous. <laughs> right. And like my first couple of years of teaching, we did do an independent reading project um, like each quarter, but I have gotten away from that because again, it was like, here, read a book that you enjoy reading, but then it was still tying it to something academic, which it doesn't seem like a big deal. But then at the same time, it for the students, they could tell and just completely removing all of the academic ties to that reading is really what's helping them um, just find that love again, because um, because just in my opinion, I don't think that you need to do a project with the book to fully like enjoy it and understand it and show me what you know. Like we do cover literature standards in other ways in my class, but they don't need to also cover the same skills and demonstrate them with their independent book. I just want them to know that like, it's okay just to read for fun and not have to annotate, not have to, you know, add sticky notes and, and all of that stuff. Like you can just read the book for fun and enjoy it. And it sounds like you're not putting any boundaries on genres or, types of books, like whatever they want to read, as long as it is in print, they're good to go. Right. So I actually do. Some students do listen to audiobooks. I do encourage them if they can get their hands on a paper copy to follow along. Um, but really, I let them engage with books in any medium that they can 
get their hands on or that they want to. I'm someone like I'm a big reader, but I am a huge reader of uh, realistic fiction. And I typically don't stray from that because I'm just not a big fan of like fantasy and sci-fi. So for me, I'm like, if I'm spending all of my free time reading in a single genre of books, how can I make my students read from all different genres if I'm not doing that myself? So where I do encourage them to branch out at times, if they're looking for something different to read, I'm totally comfortable if they're sticking with a genre that they like, because again, the important thing is that they're reading. It's not so much what they're reading. So if if it's a nonfiction book, if it's an audio book, if it's a graphic novel, I'm okay with all of those things because even audiobooks, they have to keep in mind like character development and plot, and they're still engaging with a text in a critical way, just different than how might be the norm. So I just love that they're following along with the story in whatever way that is for them. I have a, an anecdote to share with you, and I'd love your perspective on it. Uh, so one of the schools that I taught at, we had a school-wide silent reading program. And I'd always like walk around and check, you know, just look at covers, no comments, just being like, oh, what, what's popular with my students? And one of my ninth grade students was sitting there and I see the cover and I'm like, I recognize that cover. And I go a little bit closer and I'm like, oh goodness, 50 shades of gray. <laughs> so I, I just like, Hey, let's go chat in the hallway. And, uh, she's like, okay. And I'm asking her like, oh, so notice this book. Uh, where'd you get it? Oh, my mom read it. She gave it to me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I remember having this like moment of being like, oh no, what do I do? And I was like, I don't want to crush reading. Cause she was definitely one of my reluctant readers. Mm-hmm. And so I eventually settled on just saying, you know, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't read. I am going to ask you not to read that particular book in a school because it's not super appropriate, but I can't control what you read outside of school. The only thing I want you to keep in mind is that um, I have skimmed this book and I personally don't think that it represents really healthy relationships. So read what you want to read, but know that Ms. Levin's opinion is that this book doesn't portray a healthy relationship. And we just kind of like left it at that. What do you do when you have students come in with, let's say, genres or books that maybe you're not super comfortable with? So I haven't had that experience yet, but I would have handled it the same way that you did where, I mean, I'm totally fine with the kid reading what is like what they like, especially if they if they have, you know, their parent approval, but a book like that at the same time, I don't know that I would want that to be something that like other kids are seeing the student read in the classroom. So I always think that involving the parents is the like the biggest thing and having them partner with you. I have this year actually a challenge ELA class that I'm teaching. So an advanced class, they are seventh grade students that are assessed at the eighth grade level. And I have a lot of really advanced readers in there, like students who are testing at the ninth and 10th grade level, and they are reading books accordingly. And so I do personally have to keep in mind like maturity wise versus their abilities And I do have a section of books um, off to the side that I think are maybe more appropriate for a middle or a high school that I wouldn't put in my classroom library. But I have been upfront with them. And I said, you know, I'm happy to 
recommend some of these books to you if you are wanting to, you know, read some books that have a little bit heavier content, but I will need to talk to your parent and get that permission first, because I want to make sure that I'm not giving you something that they are uncomfortable with. So there's, you know, that aspect of it, but I do send a parent letter home at the beginning of the year. And I just let parents know that the selections in my classroom library are things that I feel are appropriate for a seventh grade student, but their opinion on that may differ. And if at any point they see a student or their child coming home with a book that they are not content with them reading, they can just give me a call or an email and I will have the student put the book back and I'll help them select a different book. So I kind of keep those lines of communication open where I use my judgment to make books available from my classroom that I think are appropriate for that age group, but knowing that not every parent might agree with my decisions and vice versa, where there might be parents that are buying books for their children without really knowing what they're about and me seeing them in the classroom. So where I haven't had that extreme of a case yet, I definitely think it would be something that I would just immediately communicate with the parent and just make sure that we are all on the same page with that. So I know that there's a lot of research in academic educational research about the value of reading and vocabulary building and social emotional learning and all of that. Have you noticed tangible changes or is it just something wonderful that's in your classroom and sparks joy amongst the other things? I would say I definitely notice a change with students Um, when they start the school year, many of them are hesitant to read. And I definitely notice a change in that where by the end of the year, I have students who are finishing a book and then they ask me to help them pick a new one where they're not just like avoiding it. So definitely, yes, there is plenty of joy in the classroom. Most students so look forward to independent reading time just because it's their time to like move around the room and just like have that brain break of away from academics and just getting to dive into your book. But so many students that start the year hesitating to read and just not totally in it, the more that I get to know them and I can start recommending books that are enjoyable for them, I definitely see them being a little bit more excited for that time, you know, way more than they were at the start of the year. So that's definitely a great thing to see for those reluctant readers. You mentioned the classroom library, and I'm imagining, like many English teachers especially, that you have funded an amazing library from your own paycheck. But I I don't mind doing it. So like for the most part, the books that are in my classroom library are books that I have bought and I've read them. So even if I wasn't a teacher, I would have in some way had to purchase a book just being a reader myself. So the benefit is then I get to enjoy the book and then it goes into my classroom library. I do talk to students though and get their input because because I stick to a certain genre of books that then tends for my library to be a little bit more limited since I'm putting the books in that I'm reading. And so I actually recently, just a couple weeks ago, did a little book activity with one of my classes called Battle of the Books. And I allowed each student in my class to recommend a book for the classroom library. And they made a Google slide that had like the book title, the author, a picture of the cover, and then anything else that they wanted to put on it. And then I created a bracket like March Madness style. And then we did like five rounds of voting to get to our champion book. And then I ended up purchasing the final four for my classroom library. 
And one of the final four was a trilogy. So I ended up buying like six books, which was totally <laughs> fine. But of course, you know, none of the books were from like a genre that I prefer. They were all like fantasy type of books, which downside, I probably won't read them just because I'm not big on fantasy. But then the benefit is, of that is I'm buying books that so many of my students then want to read. Speaking so. of different genres and books, when you are talking about reluctant readers, are there certain key texts that you go to? Like a kid comes up and they're saying, I'm not that big of a reader. I don't know. Like, are there certain books that you're go-to to throw out to see if it sticks? It kind of just depends on the kid and their reading level and their interests. And so when a kid is struggling to find a book, I actually have changed the way that I phrase my initial question to them, where I used to ask, what type of book do you typically like to read? And for reluctant readers, they look at me and they're like, I don't know, I don't read. And so I have reframed the question that I typically start with when I have a reluctant reader. And I ask them like, what kind of TV show do you like? Because a lot of them have a TV show or like Netflix or Hulu or something that they'll watch. And if they can share with me like some TV shows that they've liked or some movies that they've liked, that can help me think of some books to recommend. So I can't think on the top of my head of any like specific book just because it really does depend on like the interests of the student and what reading level they're at. But my own classroom library, I know pretty well. So it's easy for me to glance on the shelf and pull a couple books for the student to preview and then our school library is actually organized by genre. So if I know that a student likes scary books or horror books, or if they like nonfiction or realistic fiction, I will walk with them to that section. And then I can preview the books and go through some that either I read or that I know previous students have read and recommend books that way. So it depends on a lot of different things. But I think just the way that we phrase the question to them is like, I know that you're not a reader, so I'm not going to ask what kind of genre you would prefer because that's why they're coming to me for help. So when we're standing at the bookshelf and I ask them like, what kind of TV shows do you like? They always look at me like, why are you asking that? But it typically ends in a really good way where I have a stack of books for them to look at after our conversation and they always end up walking away with one. So that's kind of the ultimate goal with that. And for the young adult reading genre, because that's almost a, a genre in itself, these are books that are targeted to kids in that middle school age group um, where it is not necessarily... Well, yeah, I, I'm, as I'm trying to struggle to define, like a young adult book is defined as one that is targeted to young adults, but what makes it a young adult book? <laughs> Right, right. And yeah, I don't even know like the classification like criteria for that. But I do talk to students a lot about picking books that are at their level. So at the beginning of the year, we talk about like easy books and on target books and challenging books, and how it's kind of like, like lifting weights. And I always give them the analogy where, you know, if I can lift 10 pound weights, and I ask them like, okay, if I'm going to go to the gym, like, I'm going to grab 10 pound weights but what am I going to do occasionally if I want to get a little bit stronger? And they'll raise their hand and say, oh, you'll occasionally lift like the 12 pound weights. And then I'm like, what's going to happen if I go to the gym and always lift like the small two pound weights? And they're like, you're going to get weaker over time. And so I share that analogy and I say, reading is the same thing. 
it's good to stay at your level, but occasionally you want to pick up those challenging books to help yourself become a little bit stronger. The, you know, painless books or easy books are okay sometimes, but we don't want to live there. And so I, you know, we have like a whole class at the beginning of the year that we talk about that. And then I come back to that analogy throughout the year. And I constantly remind students like, I can't pick up a book and tell you if the book is too easy or too hard. Like you'll read the first couple chapters or if it's a graphic novel, first few pages, and you'll kind of get a feel for the level of the book. And if you constantly are reading books that are too easy, then let's, you know, try to make choices that sometimes of books that are at our level or a little bit above our level. So I'm not big on like, this is your Lexile and you have to stay in this range where I think that maybe is a more important thing to do at the lower levels where they have, you know, certain levels of books. But by the time that they're in middle school, they typically can start reading a book and themselves be able to reflect and decide if the book is going to be good for them. So we talk a lot about that and I kind of just leave it up to them to pick books that are at their level. But the ones that I have available are classified as young adult, whatever that actually means. I've seen different models for silent reading. Like I alluded to the fact that I, I taught at a school that had silent reading after lunch and we all did silent reading. It didn't matter what class you were in. You had this block where the school was reading. And then I've been in schools where that was put on the English teachers where they were, if, if silent reading was going to happen, it would happen in that class. And I, and I remember talking to an English teacher who was saying like, I see the value in silent reading, but I also see the standards that I'm supposed to be teaching towards. And I feel like I, I struggle with, is the silent reading time a good use of time? And it sounds like you've decided that it is. And so maybe you could talk to the teacher that's wondering about that. Yeah. So that is something that I've wondered a lot about. And so to start off, I will say that my ELA class at my school is a block. So all of the classes are 45 minutes and the ELA class is actually an hour and a half. So we have like two back-to-back -back periods with the kids. Long story short, that was because our ELA classes used to be a separate reading class and then a writing and grammar class. And now they've combined it to be ELA. And so to accommodate all of the standards that we have to cover, we have an hour and a half with the kids. So that extra time does lend itself to that room for independent reading. But even if that wasn't the case, if we just had like a daily 45 minute class, that would still be something that I would not be willing to give up. And I definitely have thought a lot about that, especially this year being on a hybrid model. And I'm only seeing my students in person two to three times a week. I really sat down and reflected and I talked to a lot of other teachers and I talked to teachers who had implemented independent reading time before and gathered their thoughts as to what they were going to do for this year. And almost every single one said, I am still implementing it. And I think something that I continue to tell students too is for us and with research, like when they're reading every day independently, their growth is not something that we can like see with our eyes. And it's not something that like happens quickly, but it happens over time. And so the skills that they're gaining through that independent reading time is something that like from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, we might not even be able to like see tangible evidence of their growth, 
But there is just so much research out there that shows the value of independent reading time. So then there's that component of it. But then just kind of like the social emotional component where one, students are getting a small portion of their day to do something that they're not being told that they have to do. Like, yes, they're being told they have to read, but they can read whatever they want. They can listen to an audiobook. And the students value that time to get to like have that autonomy to pick what they want to read, which is a huge thing. And honestly, just coming to ELA and just knowing that every day they get to start with that independent reading time where like so much of their school day is just like, go, 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 write this, do that, go here. And it's just a chance for them to like sit for a minute, get out of their world. There's a lot of things going on in their lives and just to have that time to escape and get into their book. And, and another aspect is that there's so many students who like at home, they're watching their siblings or they have dance or they have volleyball practice or they have all of these things going on. And a lot of them, they get home and they're just tired and I don't blame them. There's been so many times where I'm a reader and there's been long stretches of time where I just have so much going on and I'm so tired that I don't get into a good book where if I wasn't given time that I had to do that, I would just totally neglect it. And especially then for the middle school age group where many of them are reluctant readers and are not totally picking up books on their own time. I feel like if we want them to become lifelong readers, we have to provide that time for them. You know, when they're reading in my class, most days I sit and read with them because I think modeling is a huge um, thing that they, they notice. And I remember when I was in middle school, we had that silent reading time after lunch every day in our homeroom. And I remember my teachers that just sat on the computer and like answered emails. And I was like, why are they just doing that if I have to sit here and be quiet and read? And so I definitely think modeling is a huge component of, of getting the kids to read. Um, I also use that time to conference with the kids about their books if they're not liking them or if they're having trouble understanding parts or if they need a book recommendation. So really that time is just for like all things independent reading. And so I, the way that I structure it in my class, I just see so much value that I even in this hybrid model where I only see students two to three times a week, I'm just not willing to give that time up. Well, you've convinced me. Uh, that was an excellent answer. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> what is for your middle school kids, like what's the ideal amount of time to, you know, get into the book, but not get super lost Right. So it kind of depends. So at the beginning of the year, especially with everything going on in the world and students having been away from school for a while, we had to build up their stamina. So we started with very small amounts of independent reading time where we might have started with like, I don't know, six to seven minutes. Typically we do about 15 every day now. So um, the students just know that when it's independent reading time, um, just for the students who like to know like what's coming next, I always put the time on the board of when we'll be moving on. So I look at my watch and I count 15 minutes, I put it on the board. And I have found um, that to be a, an appropriate amount of time. And especially for me, you know, it might be a little bit different since I have them for an hour and a half. But I feel like the 15 minutes is a good enough time for them to get into the book because I think anything less than that sometimes could feel a little bit rushed. So I found that to be the best amount of time. But again, there's so many different factors for different teachers and depending on like what you have planned for that day 
and your particular students and like the makeup of your class and how long you have with them. I know that there are a lot of factors that can change that. Yeah. Or in my case, if you just let them keep on reading and reading so you can finish your chapter, that works too. <laughs> right. So true. I know there's been a couple of times where I'm like almost done with a chapter and I'm like, oh, it's time. And I'm like, I'm just going to wait one more minute so I can finish the page. Yeah. <laughs> that always works too. And then my last question, which is my favorite question, is that you're being given unlimited funds, unlimited time, unlimited control. What is your ideal reading classroom? My ideal reading classroom would have a lot more comfy furniture. Um, I, you know, work really hard to have a lot of flexible seating. Right now, we're not using it due to COVID, um, but I do have like some bungee chairs and things like that. But I would just say even more comfy furniture um, because that is like the ultimate reading setting when you can just like lay on the couch. That would be my number one thing is just to have like a large classroom with like all different kinds of furniture. That way, any student, whatever kind of way they like to sit or stand or lay down while they're reading, they have the option to do that comfortably. That would be my top thing. And it is your dream, but can I add uh, flexible lighting too, so that you can turn the overheads off? <laughs> yes. And I try to do that as much as I can in my current classroom. So I always like have two of the light switches down. So like the front half of the room's a little dimmer and the back half is a lot lighter. And then students can like, when they're working or reading, they can pick the half that they like better, but we are very limited due to COVID. But, but that would be awesome though, to have like, individual like lighted areas so that they could have it exactly how they wanted. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to share your practice with me and the listeners today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Well, cause it's about books. That's always exciting, but also some good inspiration as well. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. More details about this episode, links to resources or people we mentioned, and information in general about the podcast and its mission can be found at lessonimpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes, forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Less Than Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin. 